I like miracles. Anybody here like miracles? Uh, everybody wants miracles, but the problem is I don't see enough of them. I want a lot of miracles. I need, whenever my life is difficult, whenever something's going on in my life, I need a miracle. I need God to open up heaven and fix the thing. And you know, I did some, I did some uh, study in scripture. I do that every once in a while. And I found out this. In the entire Bible, since creation, there, there were only three periods when miracles were quite common. So if you thought in your mind, could you come up with those three periods when miracles were common? Well, I'll, I'll help you out here. Uh, the first one is Moses and the children of Israel and the deliverance from Egypt and Joshua following. Each one of these periods, for reasons that I have no clue about, is two generations. The next one is Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah and Elisha were amazing guys, and they're, 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 they did miracles, just one after the other, it seems, as you, you read in the chapter I want to look at this morning. There was an axe head that floated. There was, there was just... Well, both of them saw a young lad raised from the dead, and they just had a number of miracles. Two generations, Elijah and then Elisha, who followed him. And then, of course, everybody would come up with a third one, wouldn't you? Jesus, and then the disciples in the first century. Other than that, miracles are spread throughout the scriptures, but they're not bunched together. <clears throat> And I want you to remember that. I want, to, I want to look at a story this morning in 2 Kings and chapter 6. And we're going to read beginning at verse 8. Now, the story here is the king of Syria is attacking Israel. Nothing's changed, has it? This is a story that's... 3,000 years almost old, and the same thing's going on today. Anyway, he ran into a problem. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So if you're the king of Syria and, and you want to do battle and fight against Israel, but you can't find them, that's frustrating, isn't it? Every time he went where he thought they would be, they had gone away and gone somewhere else. And he could never come across the king of Israel. And so he got mad. Well, wouldn't you? If you want to kill somebody and you can't find him, you're going to get mad. And he was irritated. And, and listen to what he said. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, 
Well, well how are they getting the, the message then? O king, is Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Well, what are you going to do about that? If somebody is telling what you speak in your bedroom, if we've got a spy that doesn't even have to be here to know what's going on, what's the only solution to this problem? Now, you're nice people, and you won't sing it out, but kill him! Kill him! And that's exactly what the king of Syria had in mind. So let's, let's follow the story a little bit further. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him before he, behold, he is in Dothan. Now, Dothan is not much of a place. At this time, few houses, two wells, some good pasture for sheep, and nothing else. But Elisha had settled there for a while, and, and it was known where he lived. By the way, Dothan is only mentioned two times in all of the Bible, just two. I want to look at both of them this morning and give you a bit of a comparison here that might help us. So he sent his horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night to surround the city. I mean, he wasn't fooling around. I'm going to get him. I'm going to go get people all around the city. He will have no way out. And we are going to nail that little guy. And that's going to be the end of him telling the king of Israel where we are going to attack. Well, so what do you suppose is going to happen? When the ser servant of the son of, uh, of the man of God rose, now I've I got to pause there for just a moment, okay? I take it from this text that the man of God should always have a servant. <laughs> Would you, wouldn't you think that? That's, that's my takeaway from this. I'll give you some other better takeaways later, but that's the one I got from this passage. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the young man said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? There's no way out. They're all the way around. It doesn't matter which way we go. We're toast. We're done. It's over. But Elisha wasn't so upset. He said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The army of the Syrians can't see them can't see quite a bit in a minute. They, they can't see what's going on. The man 
The young man didn't see what was going on until Elisha prayed and said, open his eyes, Lord, and show him what's there. And what was there was a great host of chariots of fire and a protective force around Elisha. Nobody can get to Elisha without going through the chariots of fire, and you don't go through them at all. And you know, I find that's a, a really exciting and thrilling story. And they're, they're all through the scripture, aren't they? There's David and Goliath. There's Paul, shipwrecked and yet saved. There's Peter, jailed. And then the chains fall off him and he's delivered from jail. They're just one after the other. Elijah and Elisha both saw young men raised from the dead. And when I read about that, I, I have this question in my mind, and I don't know if any of you might have come up with this same question. I don't, I don't see that in my life. I've never seen a chariot of fire. I've never seen a horse with an angel driving. I, I, don't, I don't see that in my life. Have you ever had that thought go through you, your experience when you read of these amazing things that happened in the scripture and various questions come into our mind? Does God work like that anymore? And if he does and he hasn't in my life, then what's wrong with me? Am I out of fellowship with God? Is God dissatisfied with me? Is he, he going to let me go through stuff because I haven't served him well enough or I haven't been who I ought to be? Is God punishing me by letting me go through this stuff and I don't see any chariots of fire and I don't see anybody raised from the dead. I don't see any of this stuff going on in, in my life. Ever, ever been there? What's going on with me as compared to these people is this the stated policy of God? Is this the sure thing? Is this a mathematical axiom? Is this a fixed formula? Is this the thing that God is going to do? There are those who would tell you that if you have enough faith and if you pray in the right way and if you send them enough offering, God is gonna work in your life and deliver you from whatever you're going through. Now, I mentioned to you that Dothan is only mentioned twice. And what I've discovered is this. God doesn't lead us all in the same path. He's not pouring us into a mold. And so we should take a look at the, the other time that Dothan is mentioned in the scripture. And it's back in the book of Genesis. And it's in chapter 37. Joseph had some dreams. <clears throat> Joseph's the man in, in the focal point here in chapter 37 of Genesis. And he had a dream that his brothers were going to bow down before him and his mother and father would bow down before him. And his brothers, can you kind of understand how his brothers felt about this? They were not impressed. He's the youngest. 
You know, I am the oldest in my family. And I certainly expect my brothers and sister to show me respect because I'm older. And if my youngest brother came to me, well, I've got two youngest brothers because they're twins. And, and if they came to me and said, you're going to bow down before us, I'd say, yeah, you and what army's going to make me? And that was exactly, they hated him. They just hated him. They couldn't stand him. Little, little Miss Goody Goody here, Mr. Goody Goody there, and, and Daddy loves him more than he loves us. <laughs> I can't stand it, little twerp. That's all in the original Hebrew. <laughs> Got to mention that. But what, what's going on here? Let's start down at verse 12 of Genesis 37. And here's what it says. Now his brothers, Joseph's brothers, went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go, now see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away. For I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, most of you know the story here, don't you? The brothers say, look who's coming. It's little Miss Fa Mr. Fancy Coat. He, 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 what's he doing out here? Nobody's around. Let's fix him. Let's deal with the little, well, you know. So we move right along. Joseph is walking into a fate worse than death. Joseph is walking into something that he has never even dreamt about. He is walking into his brother's hatred and wrath. Let's continue a little further. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. See, they, they remembered that dream, and they hated him for it. And they just chafed under that. So... We'll fix those dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. And Reuben said to him, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to the, his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. 
nice bunch. They're, they throw their brother into a pit where they intend to leave him and let him die of starvation, and then they sit down to eat. Doesn't bother them at all. They're just, just okay, we've dealt with that problem. W wonder what the next one will be. And I'm, I'm, I must ask a question right now. <clears throat> Joseph, where are the chariots of fire? Joseph, what's going on in your life? What's the matter with you? Because these guys actually did throw him into the pit, and then well, what, what happened after that? It got worse, it seems. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not lay our hand upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So the, 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 the more gentle brother, the kinder brother says let's not kill him let's just send him into slavery so you know we're, we're in trouble for brothers here seriously but the thing is this they did it they did it they sold him into slavery they sent him down to Egypt they sent him to a fate worse than death there is no miracle at Dothan where are the chariots there was another guy in scripture that had that same question that we might ask right now. Where were the chariots? Where is God? Where is deliverance? Where is his care for his servant, for his child, for the one who loves him and seeks to serve him? Where is God when he needs him? And you can look around in that story and you're not gonna find God. You can't see him. You know, there's no chariots of fire. And Joseph is going into the land of Egypt to serve as a slave. He never saw a miracle. He went down, and, and as he walked, he was in terrible pain. He, he was chained. They had chains around his neck. They had chains around his ankles. And if some of you are thinking to yourself, I didn't see that in the text. Well, you were reading the wrong text if you didn't. Let's go to Psalm 105 and verse 16. The subject, this person, he is God. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So God had a different way forward for Joseph than he did for Elisha and Elisha's servant. He had a different path for them. He had a different experience for them. We cannot assume that God wants to do in our lives what he may have done in someone else's life. The experience here was horrible. It was tragic. It was difficult. 
And you know, but it was in God's purpose. It was God at work in his life. Listen to this. Isaiah, uh, I don't know why I want to go to Isaiah, but maybe I will sometime, but I don't want to right now. Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of Genesis. So we're bringing to a conclusion everything we know in the Old Testament, more or less, about Joseph. And Joseph's father died. You know, Joseph had brought his brothers and his father down and had fed them in the famine. So dad dies. And Joseph is now the most powerful man in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh on the throne. What, what Joseph says goes. Now, things have in his life been down and up and down. He's sold into slavery. He's bought. He's serving. His master sees the way God is with him, and he rises up. Then his master's wife accuses him of uh, sexual immorality and he's back down because he's in prison he he's forgotten by the one he helped in prison when he was released and everything looks dark but you go down to the end of the story and his brothers come to him and they say uh, Joseph dad just before he died said to us tell your brother to have mercy on us for my sake now I don't believe that for a moment dad didn't say that it's not recorded at all they just are terrified that he may be like them and want retribution for what they did to him many years ago they're different guys now but they're still afraid and here's what it says in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command. You see, your father, (laughs) not our father, your father, gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And the next sentence says, and Joseph wept. It broke his heart that they thought that he would kill them, that he would seek revenge on them. He said, guys, you don't understand. You don't understand. I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God sent me down here for the purpose of saving your lives, of keeping you from starving. That's why I'm here. I'm not here because you sold me. I'm not here because you hated me. I'm here because God put me here. Now, folks, this is a message that I, I hope we can 
understand, God does not lead all of us in the same path. God is not making Fords, he's making the faithful. He's not making Chevys, he's making Christians. He's not making transistors, he's transforming lives and changing people into his image. And God works in different ways at different times for different purposes, his purposes, not necessarily our purposes. Young man said to me some time ago, Dad, why don't you, why don't you just pray in faith and tell God to heal somebody? And I'm like, well, I don't know what God's purpose is for this person. I'll pray for him, but I can't demand something from God for him. I don't know what God plans for him. If Joseph gets his way, he's not going to Egypt. Not that way. And there's somebody here this morning. There's probably some buddies. And you're going through stuff in your life right now. And you have said to yourself, deep in your heart, why is God allowing this in my life? Lord, Lord, I, I want to serve you. Why, why am I going through this? Why have I lost my job? Why have I gotten this diagnosis? Why are, am I being treated unfairly, God? Why, why, why? Every one of us does that sometime or another, don't we? We ask God, or we challenge God, why? You're not doing it right. Well, folks, I read the end of the book. And here's what I found out at the end of the book. God is doing it right. God was doing it right. God will be doing it right. And in the end, all will be for his glory and our good. God wants your, your good. God wanted Joseph's good. God wanted Elijah's good, Elisha's good. He wanted all of those people that we read about in the scripture. He did good to them. He did good for them. God is preparing Joseph for a great ministry. I don't know what God is preparing you for. God's almost done preparing me, I think. You know, I'm 80 years old, <laughs> grouchy. There are many paths without assembly line believers. David slew the giant, but he was later chased by his own son. Paul was delivered miraculously, but he was beheaded. Peter was delivered from jail, but then he was crucified. The men and women of the Bible who are held up as heroes are men and women who may have suffered and been struggling in their lives. So what can we, what can we take home from this? 
Let me suggest to you some things that we can take home that might help us in our lives day by day and week by week. And the first of this is we cannot pattern our lives after others. Two men approach Dothan. One is delivered by chariots of fire and the other one goes into a fate worse than death. Both God's servants, both in God's will, both under God's care and protection and direction. And so God uses different people in different ways. He leads different people in different ways. And so don't compare yourself to someone else and say God's blessing him. Oh, wow, I wish God would bless me like that. I don't know how God wants to bless you. I do know that he does. I don't know where God wants to lead you. I know that he does. And I know that he wants to bring you at the end, not necessarily at the beginning or in the middle, at the end he wants to bring you to the place he's prepared for you. You know, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Have you ever stopped to think that God created a world in seven days, six, okay, and Jesus has been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years? Might be a pretty good place. It does then also mean that I cannot insist that others pattern their lives after me. I got saved in a certain way. I had a certain feeling. I had a certain experience. And you should too. If I did, you should. We can't say that. I have, I have a friend I know who, when... Uh, the Lord was bringing her to, the, to himself, she heard a, a, a voice, an actual voice. I've never heard a voice in my life. Well, I did, but it was my wife. And she was helping me along the path. So you, you cannot suggest that others should have the experience that you have had And the third thing I I think we can take home and find helpful is this. The lack of deliverance is not to be interpreted as the disfavor of God. So as you struggle through your life, as you come to those difficult areas that we all go through, all of us are going to suffer. All of us are going to be treated at some point or another unfairly. All of us are going to go through difficult times and struggles and heartaches. And that does not mean that God has left you. It does not mean that he has forsaken you. It does not mean that he is not pleased with you. It doesn't. Because he works different ways with different people at different times. You know... I mentioned Peter over here in the book of Acts. We have that, uh, that story, Acts chapter 12, right at the beginning. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And then, beginning in verse 6 of that chapter, we find that Peter's asleep. Somebody comes and 
smacks him on the shoulder and says, Peter, get up, get up, get up. Peter thought he was seeing a vision because when this guy tapped him, his chains fell off. Walked out to the door and the door opened. Locked, jail door, just opened. The two of them walked along after a block. The other fellow's gone, the angel is gone, and Peter's walking along saying, wonder what I should do now. Well, that's pretty cool. Herod wants to kill him. Oh, by the way, did you notice what happened to James? Herod did kill him. So James and John, and James and Peter, I want to say James and John because they were brothers, but you know, James and Peter are both arrested by Herod. James gets his head chopped off. James, the disciple James, one of the twelve. A man who had given everything to be a part of Jesus' team. And almost as soon as the church gets going, he gets his head chopped off. And then Peter, in the same verse, is delivered from jail. Or or in the same chapter. I don't understand that. I don't have to understand it, but I do understand this. It's not to be interpreted as God's disfavor that James was killed. The the author to Hebrews uh, puts it this way. You remember the 11th chapter of Hebrews and all these people of great and marvelous faith? And he comes to the end and he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the age of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put forward armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Isn't that exciting? Gotta get an amen? But wait, wait before you get too happy. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, through faith, were commended by the Lord. The Lord commends in this chapter those who suffered as well as those who were victorious. Another, another man came to his dothan, only his dothan was spelled C-A-L-V-A-R-Y. And Jesus, Jesus hated the thought of the cross. He, he cried out, Father, <laughs> if there's another way, let's do it. But he went through his suffering. He went through being forsaken. He went through his unfair trials. He went through his rejection because of his love for you and me and to open to us 
the opportunity to know the God who guides and directs us, who sometimes works miracles for us and sometimes sends us into suffering. He, he offers us through that cross salvation simply by trusting Jesus and asking him to make us his child and to forgive us from our sins. And he has promised to do that in the cross. Is there someone here this morning maybe who needs to, in this day, trust Jesus as your savior? Maybe there's some here this day who, who need to find encouragement in the Lord because you're going through difficult times and you don't understand why God isn't delivering you. And then there's some who will be rejoicing because you've seen the word, the work of God, the handiwork of God in your life just recently. But we're all together under the care of a loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Dothan. Thank you for the knowledge that there may be chariots of fire and they may be active or your purpose may be through a, a difficult time, an unfair time, an uncaring time. Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts to all that you have for us and teach us to trust you in the good times and in the difficult ones. For I ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.